0: So we see Tom in this 500 Days of Summer movie in the middle of an existential crisis after being uh, broken up with by his girlfriend, Summer, and literally breaking his heart in this traumatic scene where, where he lays it all out. and. And there, she doesn't receive it or give it back to him. This expectation that he could have this lofty goal of loving Summer and then not having it returned back to him leaves him to this place where he felt like he was giving but not receiving any love back and that he had been lied to and that maybe love doesn't even exist at all. I think we've all been there in some point in our lives that we've experienced heartbreak whether it be with a a boyfriend or a girlfriend or being a Cubs fan in September or really an Arizona sports fan any time of year, we all know the feeling of heartbreak I know, like for me, like I was a little Romeo uh, when I was younger. I, I wanted to uh, like woo every girl I could and be wooed and in love and and experience romance in any way possible, whatever that looked like in middle school and high school and uh it never really panned out so well for me the time it mattered it did pan out and that's still going on so that's good where it mattered it's good but but before that i I was not the best at this thing called a relationship uh just one example of my poor judgment uh, and my youthfulness Uh, in high school i thought that i could be a musician which um, as anyone that stands next to me on a Sunday morning can tell, uh, did not work out so well, because just naturally it's just not there. But when I was in high school, I thought that I could be this wooer of girls with the acoustic guitar and the voice like John Mayer. Uh, and so for uh, my senior uh, showcase, where they allow for seniors to, to do their different talents and, and showcase who they are, I uh, wrote this song for this girl that I broke up with and wanted to get back together with. And so I sang this romantic song about her, and and I, I wooed her on the stage in front of thousands of high schoolers who were probably thinking this does not sound good, but to her it did because she knew it was about her. It was poetry to her. And so I went up to her after the song, and we got back together only a week later to break up again because I just wasn't feeling it. The world that we live in (laughs) is completely conditional to the moment that we are in. How we feel at that moment can be different from the moment before. Who we love can quickly turn into a hate because of one action or even just disillusionment. Our our relationships, our, our circumstances are completely conditional because we live in a broken world without consistency. We all have broken relationships. If we look, it's not just the romantic ones, but we can think back to relationships that were so close in high school and grew distant, sometimes not because of something that went wrong, but just miles between. Someone who we said that we would never forsake, someone that we would tell that we would unconditionally love them years later, not even speaking with them. There is a conditional world that we live in And our actions within it, the conditions that we apply, affect others. There is good news. And that's why we approach the book of Romans, because Paul gives us this good news. As we're wrapping up the series of Romans, we are looking at Romans chapter 12. If you have your screens or your Bibles that you want to turn to the passage, we are looking at Romans 12, starting with verse 9. And just to set this up, Paul is telling us that this moment where we encounter Christ, something unconditional happens. Something comes inside of us that in the midst of a conditional world, there is something that enters that is unconditional, meaning unchanging, unwavering, and as Paul would put it, sincere. In fact, starting with verse 9, it begins this way. Love must be sincere. First of all, the word love there is agape. If you've been in enough sermons, I'm sure you've already heard this, but agape is this unconditional love or charity that is given from God to us. It is unconditional, it's unchanging, unwavering. It is not based upon your credentials, but by the one who offers it. It does not change or waver. But he says this love, this agape love, this unconditional love, it must be sincere. Now that's being spoken to you and I to say that love is to be unconditional. It is to be something that is sincere. But actually when Paul originally wrote this, these words, uh, the word be there was not there. In fact, when we read a lot of translations, as it's translated differently, a lot of times it's let love be sincere, let love be genuine, let love be without hypocrisy. But the words let and be weren't originally there, we added them. Really, Paul says here, love is sincere, or love sincere, or sincere love, maybe with an exclamation of just this boasting of this great love that exists. This is a header or a heading to what he is about to say. So everything else that comes after these words point back to this idea that love is sincere. After these words, Paul gives us a few verses where he gives us basically what I would call a spiritual grocery list. When um, I was first asked to teach on this passage, I was kind of overwhelmed because there's like 10 sermons in here. So I I had to compact all 10 into one and try to figure out what it is that that is pointing back to this love is sincere. But what we see is is essentially a spiritual grocery list. When I say that, I mean when you make your grocery list, you put bread, you put eggs, you put milk, you put, uh, you know, Cheetos, Doritos, depending on your preference, Cool Ranch, Nacho, whatever your preference is, that's how it goes on there. In the same way, Paul gives us these separate items that are completely different from each other, yet they are connected in the same idea. If a grocery list is intended to feed your hunger, This grocery list, in the same way, fills a need within your life. It feeds a certain hunger. So Paul lays it out for us. Starting with verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. Then he says, in really uh, something that is connected with that saying, that hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I think this is a theme within this idea of love is sincere that it's within the nature of the sincerity of love or the unconditional part of love. If God is love and God is holy, then we are called in the sincere love to hate or uh, to abhor, abhor what is evil and to cling to what is good. This word cling is to glue to to be so closely attached to that when someone sees you, they also see good. One in the same. This is a path, a journey that we're on to continually hate evil and to cling on to what is good. So, this agape love, the sincere love, then unfolds into verse 10. And we see that it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. He's talking about the community, about you and I, this church together. How do we treat one another? And there's two words here I want to point out. First is this word devoted, which is philostargus. And essentially means this loving affection, prone to love, loving tenderly towards one another. When we look at this word, it's used a lot of times within wills to speak of the affection of family members together, a parent to a child, brothers and sisters. Paul says, You are a family. Yes, families are messy, families don't always get it right, but they are bound together and there is to be this affectionate love towards one another, whether it be a Sunday morning or a Thursday evening or a phone call or an email, small chat, whatever it is, there is to be this affection that comes out of it. And then he says "Is to be love uh, one another in love. This one another and this love word are actually connected together in, in other translations more closely to brotherly love. Does anyone know that, that word in Greek? It's also a city, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. We are to have this brotherly love towards one another, this sibling love, this devotion to one another. And then he says these words: honor one another above yourselves. And it's interesting. Some translations then take this and and say that we are to outdo one another in honoring. I always think that's kind of a weird idea to try to outdo each other in honoring one another. It it, I think leads to that proverbial like standing at the doorway. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, No, I suggest you. And we're trying to honor the other person to usher them in, and it's like outdoing each other in honor. That maybe I can out honor you if. You go first, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not asking for us to get stuck at the doorway. He's saying that if we honor one another as we honor Christ, that there will be no room for dishonor. That when we honor one another, With this affectionate love, it's not about the single action of allowing someone in through the door, but it's that same adoration towards one another that we offer to Christ, that we would offer to one another. That we would love one another in such an honoring way. And as we look in 1 John 4.20, I think that John supports this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister... That person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God, whom we cannot see. If we have this cerebral or, or, or intangible love for God in our hearts, and it's not evidenced by how we treat one another, and how can we really have that love for God? It pours out, it secretes from us that if we have this love for God and God has this love for us, that it comes out from us. It's not just a love that is supposed to be with our hands risen high, but it is a love that is stretched out towards one another. There has to be a connection in all these things. And Jesus even says to us, they will know you are my disciples by what? How you love one another we want the world to be engaged into this love that God offers, how are we going to showcase that love unless we're able to love one another? If there's discourse, if there's there's a discord, excuse me, and someone walks in and experiences resentment, and how do they not attach that to God? That possibly God has an ability to resent me. We bring unity and love with one another. This is something that we are commanded to do over and over again throughout the New Testament. Goes into this in verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I was talking with Libby about the sermon, um, and, and... I was saying, this is where I struggle sometimes. Because Paul says that we should always have this zeal to us. That we should never be lacking in zeal. I'm like, and so I have to always be boisterous and I always have to be uh, completely on my game and I, I can never feel like I don't have zeal. like I can never feel tired or worn down. I have to always be energetic, which a lot of people think because of how I am on stage, that's how I always am, but it's not true. I have many down moments. Sometimes we feel like we lack in zeal and that sometimes that spiritual fervor is not there. But I don't think Paul here is just talking about this idea of an extroverted Christian who I'd call the woo Christian. You know, the guy who, or girl who's always just like, woo, Jesus, yeah, all right. Uh, who's ready to worship? Ah, get him, Get him, Jesus. Yeah, no, we're not always there and I don't think that we're supposed to be there all the time. Zeal is not about being extroverted. It's not about the showcasing emotion. In fact, I would compare it to a flame. It's the difference between a flashpot and a coal. The flashpot has this display that is quick and big and energetic, but quick to die out. But a coal remains quiet. But yet the temperature burns. The, the heat remains. It is consistent. It remains with this zeal, this power. It doesn't mean that we can't be extroverted. It doesn't mean that we can't get a little crazy every now and then. But what it means is that when we are judging or, or taking inventory of our lives at the end of the day, are we striving For others to see our fervor. Or are we wanting to hear from God that our fervor lasts and endures? Are we more concerned with the energy of the room and the atmosphere that all feel the Spirit of the Lord because we're willing to be a wooer? Or are we so concentrated on the love that God has placed in our heart? that we know without a doubt the fire remains. The zeal is there. We do not waver in our spiritual fervor. God remains within us and is a burning coal that we get to experience. We don't need to manifest or make something outside of ourselves in our own strength, but instead look inward towards the zeal. Paul himself was zealous. He was full of zeal, but yet he's also uh, someone who was responsible during one preaching session of a guy falling out of a window and dying out of boredom. So zeal doesn't always look like an extrovert. When you look at Paul's life, it was filled with zeal. But it wasn't always showcased in an emotion. It was always seen in consistency. That coal burns. We have that coal within us. And I think it's interesting that the result of our fervor, the result of this hot coal, is this idea of serving. Serving the Lord. Remember that. The fruit of your fervor, the fruit of your coal, is to serve. It is to have something come out of you in order to build the kingdom of God here. It is not emotional satisfaction. It is the building of the kingdom. It is not about you and feeling okay about yourself because you feel like you have your relationship with God in a good place. It is about the God who is good working out of you. This is is the point of the spiritual fervor, what Paul is speaking to. Moving on, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This goes back somewhat to two weeks ago when I was speaking uh, on Romans, uh, and we were talking about how uh, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces what? Refinement, character, and then character produces hope. In the same way, Paul says that, that, first of all, we are to be joyful and hope that that end of that two weeks ago, it, let's put it in the front end this time, you are to be joyful in the hope of what is to come. You are going through struggles and trials, yes, but there is a day of resurrection that is coming. There's a day of all things being made new, a new heaven, a new earth, where nothing is conditional, everything is unconditional, where everything has its bounds is set in place as it is supposed to be intended to. This is your hope. So be patient in affliction because we can be joyful in our hope. And throughout this process, be faithful in prayer. The first week Libby and I were here, um, Don Doe was speaking, I believe, and maybe it was Jared, but one of them, one of the Doe boys, was speaking. That was, that's a weird. I never thought about that. The Doughboys. <laughs> that's not a good nickname for you guys. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, it, it was this, and we were you know, coming out of a season of, of, of suffering and pain and, and affliction and feeling anxious. And I spoke about that two weeks ago of the dry heaving anxiety. And then God plants us here and gives us this word the first word we hear as part of this church do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Be faithful. In prayer, do not lose focus of the cold place inside of you. Do not lose focus of the unconditional God who unconditionally loves you. That while the world is completely conditional, you have a line, a direct relationship with the unconditional God. Who did not just make one act of unconditional love forever, but made continual unconditional requests and, and pursuits of you and unconditionally loves you in this moment where you are. This is the God that we serve, who is faithful to hear us in the midst of our affliction, and continually presents us with the hope that we can have great joy in. This is our God, who is presented to us by Paul in this passage. That his love is completely sincere. Verse 13, our our final verse, says these words. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is a really interesting structure that he has right here because he first says, share with the Lord's people. That's your Christian brothers and sisters. That is this community, that we are to meet each other's needs, not just financially but emotionally and, and to be accountable to one another, that we can be spiritually healthy, that all of our needs are met, that when someone comes into this place, they can bring baggage and leave it at the door because their needs are fulfilled when someone comes with a gaping hole in their heart that it can be filled with the unconditional love of God. Sometimes that simply does mean financially someone needs help. Sometimes that means that someone needs a shoulder to cry on too. Sometimes that means that someone is going through a relational tornado and does not feel Peace. We give them peace. Some of us deal with self-value and the lack of it, reminding each other of that unconditional love, that while we are still yet sinners in our worst position, the Almighty God shed upon us His unconditional love and said, you're worth it. If we cannot get this sentence right, if we as a church cannot do this part, then how are we supposed to practice this with strangers? If we don't get the love thing right first in our community, if we don't know how to love one another, then how do we expect for ourselves to be able to love our community outside these walls? How do we expect to love our city? How do we expect to meet the needs of those who are hurting and broken if we don't first know how to meet the needs of the hurting and broken within our community? This is a priority. First love one another, then out of this comes practice hospitality. The word hospitality there is the idea of greeting strangers. This isn't just about throwing a party with your friends at your home and, you know, man, I love going to the Doe's house, man, they just know how to throw a party. No, it's hospitality towards strangers. Those who do not yet know Christ. Those who do not yet know our community. And it's not just referring to your house. Hospitality is just not because you can vacuum a carpet really well so when someone comes over, they don't smell the dog hair. Like, that's not what's being said here. But in all encounters, on the street, in the workplace, out on a Friday night, here in this place, no matter where you are, Practicing hospitality. That same love that we offer one another goes to someone else as well. No matter the decisions they're making in their life, there is no condition or agenda that can be applied to how we practice or filter hospitality. Well, yeah, but they're politically a little bit different than me. No conditions. Well, I mean, they kind of smell a little weird. No no conditions. (laughs) There are no conditions to practicing hospitality towards strangers. Going back to the header, going back to the heading, love is sincere. Love is without condition. And what's so great is that when we encountered God, that unconditional love filled us. Not for the sake of just having a full glass of unconditional love in us and just saying, man, I feel pretty good with this whole unconditional love thing happening in me. I wish you could encounter it, but you know, this is my cup, so you know, talk to the guy upstairs. No, no, this is about an outpouring, something coming out of you. That if God continually pours the unconditional love that He has for you into your heart, that that sincere love would then come out of you into others whether it be in your community here or the community out there or just as important within yourself. If we are fractured in our own view of our identity, we're not willing to offer the unconditional love of God to ourselves and we can never even get out into our church community, let alone the community outside these walls. This is the unconditional love of God. That while we still saw ourselves as enemies in our mind to Him, unvaluable, sometimes garbage, not good enough, that while we sat in that position, God would so greatly bestow upon us his uh, enduring love that while we didn't even meet our own expectations, he said, let's throw expectations out the window. Where you fall short, I meet you there. Where you come up empty, I'll fill you. Where you don't meet the standards, I'll still approve of you. This is the unconditional love of God and it is poured within us to be poured out into others. Now, to close this out this morning, when I look at this list of items that Paul lists, this grocery list, if you are on this shopping list, I, I look at it, and I feel some anxiety come up because I look at my schedule and I look at my life, my rhythm. I'm like, I'm so busy. How am I supposed to remember another list? Because remember, Paul loves lists. The guy writes lists like no one else. Like He is writing every list imaginable. I have to remember not only this, but then the fruits of the Spirit. I have to remember uh, the armor of God. I have to remember all these different things that that are placed within me. What am I supposed to be clothed with? I don't remember anymore. And we have to have everything in our head memorized to be able to live it out. But I, I don't think that is what God is intending through the words of Paul. I think there's more freedom than that. When we look at our lives, a lot of times we make priority lists. And we say, okay, family, number one. Oh, God, number one. Sorry, God. God, number one. Family, number two. Work, number three. Boat, number four. I don't know. Whatever your number four is. And we make this priority list, and we try and we strive so hard to place God the number one. We say, okay, I'm going to read more scripture, so God is number one. I'm going to pray more fervently, so God's number one. I'm going to worship a little bit more extrovertedly, if that's a word. And that's going to be number one now. God is number one every time now. I'm going to honor my brother, number one. And I don't think that's it. I think that we need to throw out the list, the priority list of one, two, three, and four. And instead, take the rhythm of our life, that Monday to Sunday, and take our relationships within that, see it as a narrative, and within that narrative is a rhythm. And within that rhythm, these items flow throughout. In fact, there is a center point in which all things point back to God. Our priority list can exist, and family can be on that list and God saturates that family. Work can be on that list, but God has to saturate work. God is not an item on your priority list. He is the one that saturates every item of your life. This is how we approach the lists we're given. In fact, I would say that that Paul tells us that's already written upon our hearts. We don't have to constantly take inventory, but look at our lives, take inventory of of rather the growth in our lives rather than taking it step by step. Did I really do enough today? Look at your narrative and look how God is continually growing you and how you honor one another. How much more of that coal burns within your heart as the narrative plays out. Look at how God continues to saturate your life. So this is where we start. Love is sincere. And it all begins with the sincere love of God pouring out of us. We have to go back to probably the greatest symbol of that sincere love. C.S. Lewis, in the book of Four Loves, he, he writes... Um, it was pretty notorious quote describing the cross. He says this, God, who needs nothing, loves into existence holy, uh, superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, The repeated, incipient suffocation as the body droops. The repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time. For breath's sake, hitched up. If I may dare, the biological image God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites. Causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him here in is love this is the diagram of love himself the inventor of all loves the unconditional love that would do whatever it would take to continually pursue us until we could inhabit that love The God who creates all things has this fractured relationship with the creation that he dearly loves. And as they continually run away, sometimes in shame, sometimes in sin. But God continues to pursue them. It's a narrative of scripture, the Israelites, God continues to pursue them. It's the story of all humanity that in the midst of the first century, God would take the shape of flesh and blood. Because we could not come to him, he came to us. And in this moment, in this coming upon earth, this ultimate ending of the pursuit, he gives everything. But it doesn't stop there, the unconditional love goes on because when we look at our own personal stories, we all look at our timelines and realize that moments in our life where we continually run away from Him, where we hide in shame, saying we are not good enough for the glory of God to experience His love, where we look at our sin and we say, man, this is too hefty. There is no way I can meet the standard. But yet God continues to pursue us. And one of his greatest tools, one of his greatest devices is to your left and to your right. That we see the unconditional love in one another. And there is no room for dishonor. For the love of God inhabits all and it pours from us to one another. So as we come to this point of communion, I ask that you approach the elements, his broken body and his spilled blood and hear God say, my love for you is sincere my love for you is unconditional. This is how unconditional my love is for you. This is what I want you to offer the world. This morning, as Matt comes up and leads us in this last moment of contemplative worship, I would ask you to take the elements so seriously today To first hear from God that you are loved no matter what, in the sincerest way possible, more than any greeting card could ever write. And then I want you to hear the commissioning that as the elements were broken for you, were spilled for you, that it is to spill into the world, it is to be broken into the world, that others may experience this great love. Let's go to him this morning. At your own pace, you can take of the elements to your uh, left and uh, make sure to, to take that into account this morning as we go before the Lord. Uh, stand with me. First of all, um, I want to make sure you you know that if at this moment you're saying, man, I I just need prayer, uh, we have uh, just great hearts back there in the back of the room that you can stop by and receive some prayer this morning Uh, because God's unconditional love comes when, when we gather together and unfold our lives and become authentic no matter where you're heading today, may you go knowing that the unconditional love of God met you before you could ever accept it or deny it. May you go this morning knowing the love of God is within you at this moment. May you go not only, holding on to that unconditional love just for yourselves, but realize that when you pour it out, God is faithful to replace it. May you go with the sincerest, most unconditional, unwavering love for yourself, for your church, for your community, for all strangers who you encounter. May you go, knowing the love of God that it may encounter others. May you go encountering those have yet to encounter Christ. Grace and peace.